Welcome to another episode of the Augmented Podcast, where we tell the stories behind the new era of industrial operations, where technology is restoring the agility of frontline workers. How to transform industrial organizations, how to reskill the workforce, how can industry again enable society to work at its best, and what will factories of the future look like? In episode 70 of the podcast, the topic is disrupting dialysis by digital operations. Our guest is Mark Nash, Vice President of Manufacturing at Outset Medical. In this conversation, we talk about how Outset Medical is disrupting the dialysis industry by adopting Industry 4.0 technologies to manufacture their product, a dialysis clinic on wheels for homes and hospitals. We also discuss the outlook for deep digital transformation of workflows in the medical device industry. Augmented is a podcast for industry leaders, process engineers, and shop floor operators, hosted by futurist Thron Arne Unheim, and presented by Tulip, the frontline operations platform. Mark, how are you? Very good. How are you, Tron? I am uh, I'm, uh, doing well. I was fascinated to hear that you are at the border of two different countries when you have your work day. That is exciting. It is. It definitely means that when I leave one country and enter the second, I have to really focus on the different driving rules and techniques. Uh, living in San Diego is, is a very different place to drive than uh, driving in Tijuana, Mexico. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Mark, you are a biomedical engineer uh, with an MBA, so that you've got that great product and uh, substance mix uh, from Haifa, I understand, right, originally? From Haifa, yeah, from Haifa, Israel is my MBA, and then uh, Union College for my degree in biomedical engineering. Right. And then it was straight into manufacturing for you. Correct. I've spent about 15 years in the medical device uh, manufacturing and operation spaces, um, worked in uh, between Israel, Germany, Canada, San Diego, and now Mexico. What, what is so fascinating for you about manufacturing? I think it allows us to combine, especially in the medical manufacturing space, it combines the ability to use high-level detailed engineering work coupled with really being able to link the work that we do on a day-to-day basis to patient outcomes and patient experiences. So kind of being able to do both together where you're having a deep impact on a patient's life, but also using some um, interesting technologies and methods for manufacturing really kind of couple and and provide a a holistic, uh, interesting experience. Tell me a little bit about Outset Medical, because you're obviously in the dialysis industry, which is not an industry that a lot of people know a tremendous amount about unless they are involved as, as a patient, I guess. What are the challenges there, and you know what are you know what, what is your position in that market? Sure. So, kidney dialysis is is one of the more prevalent uh, diseases that we see in the U.S. and and it is a disease that we continue to see and an increase in. Uh, dialysis occurs, or the need for dialysis occurs uh, when people's kidneys start stop working, and that can be both in the chronic or in the acute setting. Um, and, and some of the drivers of when a kidney will stop functioning is is um, when you know someone has hyper hypertension or high blood pressure or, or, or diabetes, and over time their kidneys start to wear out, and to the level that they they kind of have two options: they can either get a transplant, or they can, uh, which can be a very lengthy and long process, and and both the you know the the surgery and the recuperation time can be lengthy, um, and then the other option is to do dialysis, in which in essence you get hooked up to a a machine, and the machine cleans your blood as if it was your kidneys. Um, 
And, you know, outsets value proposition is, is, is pretty simple. It, it's meant to be anytime, anywhere by anyone. And, and those three small phrases really kind of provide an overview about the organization that we wanted to provide a, a system that is always connected to the internet, uh, that provides real-time data uh, to both the patient as well as into our systems engineers uh, to be able to ensure that dialysis can be conducted anywhere, both in the hospital or home settings uh, by anyone, meaning that it can it doesn't take a, a PhD or being a nephrologist or even a nurse uh, to provide dialysis um, at any time, right? That, that the amount of infrastructure that is in the back end is not significant, meaning our machine actually purifies the water on site. We make real-time dialysate solutions, where in traditional types of technology, you typically would be in a clinic setting and having large pieces of water and mixing technology in, in a back room. Yeah, I was going to say, you now very quickly went through something that I understand for the industry and for these patients is actually quite quite tremendous, right? Because even just the what you just said about combining hospital and home care, this is not a situation where without that device that you have created that historically that wasn't you know the the deal at all what i've understood is that dialysis patients they travel you know far distances and they are very very careful about who they trust to get their care which means they're locked into certain places and cities and providers usually so this is a big change it's a really big change when when we think about um, someone who who requires uh, tr- you know traditional dialysis, they're going to a clinic three to four days a week uh, for between four and six hours per treatment. Um, so when you imagine, and you know the clinics are open kind of like a like a post office in a timing schedule, right? They're open from eight to five or nine to six or whatever that is. And um, being able to imagine that every other day, more or less, you need to go get dialysis com- done, and then you need to spend about half of your you know, light hours in, in a, in a building um, makes it very difficult to have a traditional job or traditional life and family. Um, we now have patients at, at home on dialysis on our machines um, that are able to have a full-time job. They're able to spend time and travel with their family and, and take care of their kids, especially during COVID when a lot of time the, the children were, were at home studying and, and doing school remote, they were able to be with them and help support them and not have to be in a clinic setting. Mark, can you tell us a little bit about how this product got, got off the ground? So obviously the, this is a piece of ha- hardware that you had to innovate on to, to get it going, but then there's also a number of operational steps, right? We call it a, a digital, you know, it's, it's a digital technology, but there's so many things that had to work. What, as you were thinking about launching this, this product and other things in, in Outset, how are you thinking about sort of like be, being an efficient operation and, and, and using various digital tools to, to make this as efficient as possible. Yeah, that, that's a great point. So we, we are both a hardware and software company, right? So we have the machine itself, with, which, is the, which is the hardware, but we have a very robust software infrastructure in the background. Um, and when we, when we thought about manufacturing this product, we took the same concepts to mind, right? So when we said, hey, we're going to go open up our own facility to go manufacture this very complex uh, device, we wanted to make sure that we thought of digitalization from day one. Um, if, if our machine is on the cutting edge of digitalization and, if, and simplicity, 
we wanted to have that same approach when we transitioned into manufacturing. But is that something that exists out of the box? I could just imagine that some of the tools needed to to get that done were, you know, I mean, they're not necessarily there because you were you were actually innovating in in a new industry with a with a new machine, and so, you had to set up sort of new processes to make that work. What, what what was sort of the next step there? You know, in that process. Sure. Now, and we and we talking on the specific on the more on the product side. Well, I'm just interested on the operational side when you were trying to make this uh, work. Essentially, uh, you know, put this machine into into production. Sure. Yeah. So when, when we think about from a production uh, standpoint, we, we entered into a greenfield space just under uh, two years ago, um, where we were starting to look at how would we be able to very rapidly uh, set up a facility, uh, train team members with a quality first mindset, um, and be able to scale an operation in, in under nine months. Um, wow. When you think about that in the traditional sense of paper records and paper systems and and non-linked connect, connective systems, um, that would be nearly impossible. Uh, so kind of out, of out of day one, when we said, hey, we're going to go create that factory, we had a smart factory or what we call the factory of the future concept in mind. Um, and a very large pillar in that space is the use of digitalization um, as kind of a, a core infrastructure requirement. So tell me a little more uh, about what that factory of the future looks like, because you, like you said, you com- you're commuting to that factory in Tijuana as as we speak on a regular basis. What what does that look like? I mean, take people who may not, you know, be in today's factories very much, but just describe it to us. You know, what is it that you have built there, and w- what sort of technologies uh, have you put uh, put in there? For example, I mean, Tulip, uh, which I work for, is is wa- one of the technologies that you're using. So give me a sense of how, uh, you know, what the factory looks like and what sort of pieces are, are running there. Sure. And, that, and, it's a, and it's a great, you know, sense of pride to talk about because, being down in Tijuana, you're not typically seeing flagship factories. You're typically seeing more of the low-cost type of factory setup. And, and, and Outset didn't do that. Outset really wanted to be, just as we are the differentiator in the product space, we wanted to be the differentiator in the process and manufacturing space down in Tijuana. When you approach the building, it looks like a world-class facility from the outside with from the facades. Um, all the way from the minute you enter into the front door and your, your, your facial recognition picture is taken, to allow for security access as plus as, as during the COVID time, uh, you know, biometric temperature checks. Um, we then enter into the facility and, and you notice from, from the minute you enter in that everything is collaborative and transparent. Um, from our conference rooms that have what we call cloaking technology on the, on the windows, which actually means that you can see into the conference rooms, but any data that's actually being shown on the TV is actually blacked out. Right, so different techn- technology which provides transparency, but at the, at the same point sensitivity. Um, when you enter into our manufacturing space, the first thing you'll notice you'll start to see TV screens uh, with dashboards that are running in real time. That, as as you mentioned, Tron, we we do leverage Tulip in a multitude two to different spaces in our factory. I um, mean, all of that data is collected in real time and it is displayed throughout the factory to provide both an indication to leadership of where we are for our today's metrics and goals, but also to allow for collaboration where we have touchscreen monitors uh, and screens of, you know, 55 plus uh, inches where you can actually collaborate and, and write on the screens and then take snapshots for process improvements. Um, 
Can you explain how that journey started? Now, specifically, I'm thinking about the introduction to Tulip. You know, because you were part of that uh, that journey. What, what was there in the initial conversations that you had, I guess, with folks at Tulip, or how did you get exposed to to the product? And what is it? What was it that the organization then ultimately saw? Sure. So when you start to look at a you know a, a digital manufacturing platform or an MES, how you how you want to call it. Um, one of the things that we wanted to do differently is we, we didn't want to go with a monolithic uh, concept. So we didn't want to go with a concept where you're buying a suite of software that is very rigid, um, very cumbersome. And, and frankly, if you want to become an expert on that software, it's going to take several years to, to learn. Um, so we looked at Tulip and, and we started the search of really looking at you know the 4IR space and some of the white papers that McKinsey and the World Economic Forum have partnered to put together. And we started to see the name Tulip appear. And we started to, to kind of understand that Tulip provides a platform that is very flexible, very modular, um, and and is zero, is no code, as they call it. Um, and, and we started probably back in January of 2020 uh, in those initial discussions with Tulip. We, one of the things that I found very compelling and, and different with working with Tulip is when we invited them on site at our headquarters in San Jose, they didn't show up in, in their you know, traditional suit and ties and, and, and leather bound notebooks. They, they showed up uh, with, a, with a Pelican case and said, hey, let's get to work. Let, let me show you how Tulip runs. And we're not going to actually take anything that has been polished. We're going to actually just build an app together. We're going to learn and we're going to take your process and do it together in front of you. Um, that was really refreshing. Um, we had brought other large um, vendors in, such as, you know, Camstar and some of the other traditional MES platforms. Um, but it was always, the conversation was was much more of a, let us show you what, you what is possible. But every time we said, hey, can we deviate from your script? The answer was, no, no, well, if you want to do that, let's, let's have a different session for that. Where um, working with Tulip, it was much more of, hey, I want you to put this trigger or this button on this page. And it was like, yeah, let's, let's go do it. And was it polished? Definitely not. Where did, did we, were there times where they, they limped along in the process for sure. Um, but it, it gave a much more true sense of what we would be going up against if we were to partner with Tulip at the time. So you said no code. Um, to what extent have the introduction, uh, has the introduction of, of a, a Tulip or, or app-based sort of technology, ha- has it required you to, to take that over and start learning to code and what has that process been like? You know, you said no code, but who is it that have built, I, I understand you have been part of that process yourself and have been in, actually involved in, in building some of the things that you ended up putting out there on, on the shop floor. What, what, what was that process like? So I understand the initial demo, you, you felt part of it. What then happened after? Because, you know, everything at the end of the day is a pitch. Correct. But, but then w- when you were left with the product, what, what started to happen then? How, how did you roll it out? Perfect. That's a great question. So once the pitch had happened, the first thing I did is I said, before I get all of my senior leaders and, and my peers in, in, in headquarters uh, convinced on this product, I, I want to go see if I can build some apps myself. So I, I downloaded the player. I, I went on to the, the, the trial instance that we got. Um, and I spent four or five hours kind of just deep in the in the in the creative programming mode, if you will, um, and, and was able to make a minimal viable product with, with you know, which sent some data to a, to a, a database and then pulled the data back and, and manipulated it. And, and I found that it was easy if I could do it. My process engineers who work on the floor every single day would definitely be able to, 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 to manage and, and thrive in this space more, more so than I could even thrive. Um, 
And the, really, once we had set up the, the agreement with Tulip, we started in a two-month wireframe exercise. So um, our thought in, in how we kind of run our business in, in outset is we go slow to go fast. Uh, that is a really a key pillar and, and concept that, or mantra, if you will, that we use. So we spent two months getting a wireframe or a template, if you will, perfect. We worked with our UX designers in the organization to understand how how do the human uh, brain work in terms of reading different pieces? Where do our eyes go uh, first when we enter into a new page? And we tried to work through what does the design of that space look like? The next thing that we started to look at was how are all of these different applications going to talk? And we had to really think about the backend data architecture. Um, what we know now is actually different than what we knew then, of course. And if we could have done it differently today, we would have actually started by thinking about what analytics do we want to see at the end? Because that would have helped make our tables better in the beginning or all of our database in the better in the beginning. Um, but then once we had that wireframing done, which took about two months, uh, we spent the next four months converting 2,700 pieces of paper, 7,000 steps into over 90 applications. Um, hmm. And that was a team of three process engineers with zero experience with Tulip um, and really just a lot of elbow grease and a lot of passion and desire to get this factory of the future you know, up and in, in, in a functioning uh, state. What was the role of kind of traditional IT department expertise in this process? Because I, you know, in in a lot of operational technology, uh, you know, as much as you speak of operations, uh, there there is kind of an IT procurement department, and you you need some amount of software engineering to get it done. How has that uh, panned out for you? It, it, I guess in your overall uh, digitalization strategy, because I'm assuming you still have software engineers. We do. And, and we definitely have, you know, as an organization that is a software, uh, has a software component to, to it, um, we have software engineers and, and they, they, they do a phenomenal job on the product side, but they, we didn't really use them at all for Tulip. Um, what we did use from an IT perspective is we, we have a fantastic IT team at Outset um, that we partner with to understand cybersecurity. Uh, that is a very large piece of our, our requirements as a company. Uh, that manages a lot of data. Um, so how is the cybersecurity of Tulip set up? Um, and we had the VP of R&D at the time uh, sit down with some of their Tulip uh, cybersecurity gurus, and they came to an understanding of what was required and, and made sure that our team and Outset felt comfortable. Um, and then the IT team was really also uh, valuable in, in helping with the process flow creation. So sitting down at the beginning and understand how the different systems that are going to connect into Tulip um, how do they function? How are they going to talk to each other? Uh, so there was a lot of handholding, I would say, within the system connectivity side, but less so from the um, Tulip app development side. You, you said a couple of things that was super interesting to me. First of all, 90 apps. Could you give me a flavor of you know what what is the range of all these apps? Are they in completely wildly different operational areas, or are they all clustered around certain use cases? No, they they are wildly different. Um, the the machine that we're talking about this this what we call Tableau, which is our console, right? That's the piece of capital equipment. Um, as mentioned, it takes seven thousand steps to produce one. If you were to have one person sit down and build and test that machine, um, it, it would take dozens of hours. Um, you know, we're talking almost a hundred hours to build and test the machine. Um, there, there's over 2000 components that go, that goes into that machine. So each app is going to tell or, or guide the operator, um, or what we call collaborators down at, down in TJ, um, on how to put the machine together. Um, it's going to provide instructions, pictures, videos, 
Um, we're working on Pictolite and vision systems now. Um, but each of those, those apps is, is significantly different. Um, and then not only do we have 90 apps and not only do all of those apps uh, exist in Spanish, but they all exist in English as well. Um, we also have the ability, um, to have genealogy within our system. So every single time you complete an app, all of that data that was captured within that app is actually located on a barcode. So as we further add value to our product and, and build up that product, we have traceability of the components, the users, the calibration, and other information that the FDA would want to know about uh, within within the uh, within the uh, app itself in the system. Hmm. Another thing you just said was go slow to go fast. I mean, when people implement digital change, the assumption many make is, you know, let's uh, get our heads together in leadership and then let's move fast to scale this. But you're saying go slow to go fast. Is that kind of a mantra that you use uh, at Outfit for, for, for many changes? Exactly. A hundred percent. So we are a business in our growth, in our growth trajectory, right? So where we are today is we have a phenomenal product and we have a, a phenomenal manufacturing site that, that produces that product. But it's all about scale today. So if we put in the right infrastructure, which is that slow part, right, where we might go a little bit slower to get the processes nailed down, to get the infrastructure set up, it will allow for faster growth in the future. So, And, and that's what you can see, right? We spent two months building one app, getting the framework done, getting it all right. And then within four months, we generated 89 other apps. So just imagine the speed and, and only three people working on it. So imagine... You know, 60 days roughly of working time between three people. So 180 days and you got to build 89 apps. That's almost every other day an app has to be created. But how did it get to the number 90? Was that something you knew or was it just emergent? It just happened to be that's the number that you ended up with. That's a good question. So no, 90 was pretty well understood from day one because that's what was what was the amount of different work instructions that had to be converted from paper to a digitalized uh, platform. Um, but now, you know, as mentioned, we had 90 apps for production. Today, we have about 148 apps on our floor. And the additional apps are really incremental process improvement steps, right? So they might be a process for spare part inventory or even um, people operations from like an HR time and attendance perspective. So we've, we started out with Tulip and, and the, the digital platform as, as really manufacturing focused and it's now kind of transitioned to into other spaces of our business to help reduce complexity um, and and allow for better system integration I'm just curious mark when you start with an app based approach isn't there a danger sometimes that you are literally doing what you just told me that you're transferring exactly the paper process onto digital aren't there opportunities to make savings maybe in my simple mind I would think 90 manual process steps could turn into 50 steps because the digital made some savings somewhere. So where is the savings coming in? It's not in the number of steps or apps necessarily for you, but yeah. it, but surely the savings comes in somewhere, but but the steps are generally still the same or what? Yeah, this, typically the steps have to be the same. And, and if, you know, if we kind of equate it to making a, you know, assembling a piece of furniture from Ikea, you know, the, the, the instructions come on that little white piece of paper with the little character. I, I wish there was a tulip for Ikea. Yeah, right? I'm going to maybe whisper that in their mind. Exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. But if you think about it, right, um, if I was to take those white paper instructions from Ikea and put them into a, a tablet, 
I still have to put the screws and the, and the pieces of wood together or try to get them to fit together with Ikea, but I have to try to put them together, right? So, so those, those steps can change. Um, but where we save time and energy is in the clarity of the instructions, um, how the instructions are presented, the size of the pictures, the ability to click on a picture and zoom in or to have a, a GIF and to have actual video automation of it's showing to the operator and illustrating how to put it together. We really think of it as guiding the operator on how to build it. Um, so I think that's one step. The, the next thing you would also see is that we have to collect a lot of data in the FDA, in the FDA medical device uh, space. We got to collect a lot of data as we assemble a, a device to ensure that the quality is correct the first time and the quality is right against our, um, our, our, our claims. So, a lot of times when you're building a, uh, a device, people forget to make sign off on signatures. They forget to enter in data. The data is out of the acceptable ranges. So that uh, that leads to a lot of over-processing or reprocessing at the finish line, right? So all of a sudden that machine gets to the finish line in the paper-based world and we recognize that, oh, we're missing signatures or, oh, that value is out of range. And, and now we have to go reprocess and retest, et cetera. In, in our world, the system doesn't allow the operator to go to the next step if the result failed, if the information wasn't entered incorrectly, if a signature didn't happen. So it prevents the operator from actually continuing if there is a if there's an issue. Um, an another thing by having connected systems, uh, we've connected in our MES our tulip system into our ERP system, and that linkage has saved several additional roles within the organization because all work orders are transacted simultaneously. So any sort of virtual movement of materials, virtual work order creation, work, virtual work closure, issuing of materials to a work order, all of that happens in the background seamlessly. Hmm. So rather than having to get those signatures and everything, it just, it just happens. So I just want to try to poke some holes at this just because, uh, you know, a lot of people for many years were swearing to these massive sort of MES systems that had an enormous amount of functionality. Is Did you at any point or have people in the organization said sometimes, you know, oh, I wish we had a system that actually had this already built in and we could just do it once and then it was there instead of this very, I mean, it's an incremental approach. It's like you're you're building the you're building the the foundation sort of from scratch in a sense like you know you know what you're trying to build but but to build up the digital tool to to you have to actually make that digital tool there are of course components that are already there in 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 a no code system but there's arguably less of it right because it's not like this massive sort of system that you configure uh, perhaps once but it is a very different approach have you ever wanted to have a more gigantic system that had a lot of components, or do you feel like for for the size of your company, this sort of incremental uh, process has been, you know, pretty useful? That's that's a great. That's actually a very interesting in, 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 uh, question. Um, there are times where it would be nice to have an out of the box uh, solution, if you will. Um, and and I think even more interesting is the fact that when I when I try to explain to people inside the organization who, who really haven't leveraged tool lift or seen it, but they've heard about it because we talk about it as if it's like plastered on our walls at times um, that they're like, well, can, can Tulip do this? Can Tulip do that? And a lot of the times I'm like, well, Tulip's not going to do anything. You have to go design and build it. And Tulip might have the functionality to get us there, but we got to go do it. So there are definitely a lot of times where we want it to be quicker. We want it to be done. 
Um, but just from my experience in other organizations and leading different uh, organizations around the world, having the ability to be flexible is a pillar of 4IR, and it is a vital part of our business to be able to go quickly. Um, mm-hmm. If you're in some of these lo- larger monolithic systems, um, if we change our processes, if we change deep changes of how we have system connectivity, that could be tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars of additional in- incremental consulting work. Um, it could take months to get done. And frankly, what it leads to is a disengagement and a deep empower or disempowerment of our employees. Because what will typically will happen is they'll come into a space and be like, oh, well, the system is too complex. We just won't fix it. We'll just mm-hmm. leave it alone. Right. Versus yeah. here, it's like, no, no, my my team members and my employees are empowered to say if they see something that's not correct or that we could do differently, create an app, connect it into our systems and let's go. But when you do run into trouble, where do you go? I mean, surely you you still go back to the tulip and you get some some help. Right. But you haven't needed these enormous sort of consultant integration firms to come in and, and, and fix things. So it's a very different process, but surely you're still, you know, asking the community or something for, for advice here because there are better ways of building an app and worse ways of building an app. Well, 100%. So we, 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 um, we definitely use the Tulip community. Um, we have some really great partners on the West coast that we leverage within Tulip to help us there. Um, I'm not afraid to pick up the phone and call some higher up people in Tulip to get, to get support when necessary. Um, but I think the relationship with Tulip is really great. And, and I also think that if we empower, I really believe in the empower, empowerment of our, our employees. If we empower our employees to go leverage a technology, to go learn about the technology, they will surprise us on what they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we, we hired this phenomenal new uh, on-market quality manager down in Mexico. He's been at the organization a month and a half. And yesterday he showed me an app that he's built that, collects and aggregates 10 different quality metrics into one dashboard uh, that we're now going to roll out throughout the entire site. Um, and, and he's literally spent three weeks using Tulip. Um, and, and it's just to see that empowerment and for him now to be able to say, hey, listen, I want to go tackle another project because I've seen this issue. Please go, go fix our problems. So um, it, it's been pretty it's been pretty amazing. I know that you know metrics are are hard come by when you you know a, a company really holds on to those. But what what are some of the improvements that you've seen? You know, and it's not just Tulip, but you know your the the kind of transformation effects that you've had by taking such a a hold over uh, the digital aspects and getting the information you know into apps and 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 other things to 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 get your products to market, but produce them and and get them to market. What are some of the um, impact figures that you are looking at what types of things are you looking at typically and what have you what do you feel like you have achieved on that front sure yeah so some some areas that we 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 continually look at is quality first right so some of our quality first metrics are going to be around defects per console so how many defects do we create throughout the production process obviously nothing leaves our factory like that with a defect but we're talking more in terms of internal processes. So how many defects do we find during our test process that we have to go fix? What we call over-processing or reprocessing time. Um, we would look at first-pass yield as a similar metric. Um, we also look at line capacity and productivity, you know, consoles per person per day or per month. Um, and we've seen significant improvements in those spaces. We've seen um, a, a decrease in, in defects found during test, uh, our, our finished grid test process by, by controlling upstream the um, the 
the, the inline test process or how the machine is put together. Um, we've seen significant improvements in our line capacity through balancing of our lines and leveraging simulation uh, software systems to take the data from Tulip and, and optimize our line layout and floor. Um, we've also put a, a full modular grid system above our manufacturing floor. So at about eight feet above our floor, we have an entire electrical data and compressed air uh, grid system which allows for full modularity. So imagine if Tulip and the simulation software says, hey, by moving and reconfiguring your floor in this in this fashion and by doing the proper validation work, you can increase your productivity by 10%. Well, we can move our entire floor in hours because everything is above us. Everything sits above the, eight feet above the floor from an infrastructure perspective and it allows us for us to be flexible and nimble. What are some of the remaining challenges uh, for you as a company, as you are, you know, obviously, as any company trying to get further and further into scale? And also, if you're thinking about further products, you know, what what are some of the things you either, you know, would do exactly the same way? Or what are some things you have learned kind of in this process with digital change? Sure. Um, I think as a, as a company where we are as in our in our growth phase, um, we, we need to continue to focus on scalable processes. Uh, processes that can work when, where we are today and they can work uh, in three to four years. Um, so we need to keep focusing on making sure that we put in the right governance around digital transformation. We are looking at creating a, a 4IR transformation office right now to really help ensure that the governance about how we create the apps, how do we code the apps, what type of uh, database system architecture do we have, all of that has to kind of be in a governing single location committee, if you will. Uh, that's important for scale. Um, I, I think also what I've what we've learned is this is not digitalization is not just about manufacturing. It's really about overall process business process improvements. Um, by the way, Tron, is that bothering you? All that noise? No. Now they're starting. No. All right. Cool. All right. So um, when I think about digital transformation, I, I don't think about it just in the manufacturing space, but also in the business process optimization space, we really believe that um, a lot of times we focus our attention on manufacturing, but in the end of the day, we might get manufacturing super lean and super efficient, but all of our business business processes that tie into manufacturing are cumbersome, complex, and not simplistic. So we're really looking at how do we digitize and digitalize our processes and connect systems that are not just in manufacturing, but are throughout the entire business from an end-to-end supply chain perspective, um, so that when we scale and as we scale, um, we're ready. Well, lastly, you, you talked a little bit about how you got inspired to to, to do some of, some of this, and you talked about the World Economic Forum, and I know that you know their lighthouse uh, projects are an inspiration to many. Do you think that it's possible to learn a lot from reading about the experience that other factories uh, and teams have had, or is it at the end of the day a type of learning that you kind of have to learn yourself, or is it a mix of them? I think you can. We can learn a lot from other other teams and other groups throughout the world. Um, one of the things within the Lighthouse Network that um, I, I find very compelling is is some of the cash flow uh, improvements that they've shown through modeling of, with working with McKinsey. Um, and some of that was actually some of that data from some of the other lighthouses and about how much they've improved and how much additional cash flow will be presented by 2030 if you're an early adopter for IR technology is some of the drivers of what led Outset to going down the path that we are on today from our manufacturing journey. Um, I, I believe that 
Um, we are a very different company looking at Lighthouse than the traditional companies. We are a very small, nimble, you know, newly public uh, I, uh, public organization. Just a year ago, we went public, and and um, we are in a space with some pretty big goliaths. And and um, this should show to other organizations that are our size uh, that that you can really jump into the four IR space. You can jump into the technology world. It doesn't cost uh, fifty million dollars, and you don't need to look at creating a uh, a lights off facility, you can do it in an iterative approach that works for your business. Mark, I thank you so much. It's fascinating to hear how any organization is approaching digital, and particularly when, like you said, you, you're uh, well. Look, as as a smaller uh, player in a you know in a space, you're, you're you're still an underdog, even though your technology might not be right. So you still have to acquire that that scale that that allows you to succeed. And it's fascinating to hear how you've made. The best use of, of of the tools that that you can, and I, I wish I could come to Tijuana and see see what you've accomplished. Maybe I'll get there soon. You should. You're more than welcome to come. We have a fantastic uh, lunch uh, cafeteria lunch on site, and we can we can enjoy some uh, nice tacos together. <laughs> Sounds good, Mark. I I appreciate it. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thanks, Tron. Have a great day. You have just listened to episode seventy of the Augmented Podcast with host Tronarne Unheim. The topic was Disrupting Dialysis by Digital Operations. Our guest was Mark Nash, Vice President of Manufacturing at Outset Medical. In this conversation, we talked about how Outset Medical is disrupting the dialysis industry by adopting Industry 4.0 technologies. My takeaway is that the medical device industry is not the easiest industry to innovate within. Regulatory constraints, the complexity of managing software and hardware together, and staying on top of the logistical intricacies of the healthcare market, all of that complicates things. No digital lean journey is easy, but the fact that Outset Medical managed to build a greenfield factory in Tijuana, Mexico, with a bottom-up approach to process improvement through no-code apps that empower their workers is an inspiring story. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at augmentedpodcast.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. And if you liked this episode, you might also like episode 50, The Last Mile of Productivity, episode 33, Sustainable Manufacturing at Scale, or episode 63, Digitizing Medical Device Operations. Hopefully you'll find something awesome in these or in other episodes. And if so, do let us know by messaging us. We would love to share your thoughts with other listeners. The Augmented Podcast is created in association with Tulip, the connected frontline operation platform that connects the people, machines, devices, and the systems used in a production or logistics process in a physical location. Tulip is democratizing technology and empowering those closest to operations to solve problems. Tulip is also hiring, and you can find Tulip at tulip.co. Please share this show with colleagues who care about where industry and especially where industrial tech is heading. To find us on social media is easy. We are Augmented Pod on LinkedIn and Twitter and Augmented Podcast on Facebook and YouTube. Augmented. Industrial conversations that matter. See you next time.